You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they show it. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, Bills Mafia? Matt Perino here for a live episode of Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast brought to you by Syracuse.com and NewYorkUpstate.com. If you're wondering what's going on here, we're a couple of minutes late. Uh, Ryan just tweeted this out. He's having some computer issues. So I'm going to start this thing off solo. Hopefully he gets that figured out. He will get in here in a little bit. But I didn't want to keep you guys waiting any longer. I, uh, I put out a a poll on YouTube uh, earlier uh, today, just to get an idea of when you guys would like these shows to happen. If, they, if you want them right after practice or maybe a little bit later on. Uh, and, and overwhelmingly the vote was for the evening time, which listen, I like it. Get, uh, get through work, have some dinner, get comfortable, join us for the show. Uh, we got, a, we got a lot uh, to talk about today. There was uh it was an interesting day down at, in orchard park at the practice facility, this was the final Bills OTAs practice open to the media. And so we'll get into some of the takeaways that I had from today. Uh, as always, if you're watching on YouTube, do us a huge favor. Hit that subscribe button. Like this video right here. Let's get this uh, this video uh, popping with uh, fans. Uh, you guys do such a great job throughout the show. Uh, with your comments, anything that you have questions about, anything that you want to talk about, I want to do that as well. And check this out. We got ourselves a little scrolling timeline here uh, of what we're going to talk about on the show today. I told you guys I would get that for you uh, this episode, and uh, I did that. We'll go through all of these topics. These were my main takeaways, but if you have any specific questions, as always, you know I'm always down to talk about that. Get our little uh, logo up in the corner here. Look at us. We're cruising. Solo mission. Ryan is doing, uh, you know, some troubleshooting right now. He should join us any minute. Uh, I feel a little bit weird doing this without him. But, you know, we got observations to talk about, and uh, we are going to move forward. And so let's talk about the news of the day. Uh, pretty, um, you know, slow-going practice for the most part. A lot of install today. 
Brian Dable even mentioned it before we even got out on the practice field. They were going to go out there, work on a lot of different situations, doing a lot of positional work. So it wasn't until the last, uh, you know, 20 minutes or so where we got to see some seven on seven and then some 11 on 11. And I have some, you know, takeaways that we can get into on that. But the thing is really got supercharged when uh, 11 on 11 started the third play into that part of the practice. Uh, Josh Allen uh, attempted to throw a little screen pass and I can, talk about what it was because John Feliciano went on the Pat McAfee show later today and uh, uh, later after the practice and, and discussed it a little bit more in detail. And AJ Epinesa, uh, we've been talking a lot about him over the last couple of weeks. He was able to get an interception, weaved his way in and out of traffic about 20 yards uh, back for a touchdown. Well, John Feliciano took great exception to this play, tracked him down, chased him down, they exchanged kind of unpleasantries. Uh, it, it looked like there was, uh, you know, a lot of intensity in the moment. AJ Apinesa looked like he threw the ball at, at Feliciano, who then responded. Uh, big MMA fan uh, with uh, what looked like an overhand right. Uh, I at that point the the crowd was starting to gather, so it was really hard to see into the mix there. But a skirmish, a, a little bit of a melee, and honestly, I feel like. Any part of camp, whether it be mini camp or training camp or any of that stuff, doesn't really start until one of these things happen. And, you know, the competitive fire is really uh, supercharged down there on the field. And so I'm going to bring up this, my story, and you can actually go check it out over at New York Upstate or Syracuse.com right now. And I want to read you John Feliciano's quote. Uh, he, he went on the Pat McAfee show. It was an interview previously scheduled to talk about Tortorol. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, there was a little bit of back and forth between John and Pat McAfee over the, the, uh, potential, uh, banning of the substance. Well, they ended up just, you know, switching gears and talking about this a little bit. Here's what he said. This hasn't been my first scuffle during a practice. Everyone knows around there. We're just trying to work. There's no animosity between me and AJ. That's that crap's done. As soon as we walked off the field, iron sharpens iron, and I'm trying to get him better. It was just competitive. We ran a screen. He picked it. I tried to chase him down. Then words exchanged, and then stupid stuff happened. You know how it goes, just competitive, uh, he said on the show. We talked to Harrison Phillips, who um, obviously a, a leader on that defensive line, a guy that, you know, this is his fourth training camp, a member of that defensive line. And he said, obviously, we all know what the tempo is and what's happening right now in early June. But at the same time, tempers flare, and sometimes there's a boiling point, and this guy's going a little harder than this guy, and that's just a thing that comes with the game. But that's also what brings people together. Brothers fight all the time, but they love each other 100%. And listen, I saw some of the initial reaction to the fight, and it's like, oh, man, what's John Feliciano doing? And, you know, why are you fighting uh, your teammate? Listen, these guys are out there competing. That's what football is all about. That's what this period is all about. Now, they're dialing things back quite a bit in OTAs and training camp. They're not they're not going full blast. When you see a lot of the stuff in 7-on-7 seven seven or 11-on-11, 11 11, when we're talking about, um, you know, what's happening in, in, in these situations, you know, a lot of times at this point, there's they're not going full speed. And so it's you got to take kind of everything that's happening out there right now in this phase with a grain of salt. But I thought, you know, it, it, it was a product of a, of a couple things. You know, number one, you know, just my guessing the situation, 
you know, the defense, when you're running through all of these different plays between the offense and the defense, you know, the, you're doing this day after day after day. We only get to see one practice per week, but they're running three or four a week. So you're running a lot of the plays. The defense is seeing a lot of what the offense is doing. So who knows? Maybe maybe AJ Epinesa, you know, kind of read the play, knew, knew kind of what was coming, put his hand out there, got an easy pick, took it back. Feliciano didn't like that. There could be a whole host of reasons why you know this thing maybe he just you know maybe you know the defense was having itself quite a day today and maybe it was just a situation that listen the defense is having a day uh the offense isn't happy about it and it, it was just a situation where you know, Tom Feliciano let uh his emotions get the best of him there was a bit of an exchange it happens every camp and that's where it is and uh, listen I think in the long long haul it's not a huge deal but it, it, it provided some entertainment today. And speaking of providing entertainment, the man is now in the house, Ryan Talbot. What's up, buddy? Oh, sweating bullets, man. I, I was I was getting angry at my computer. It's showtime, and I get a random restart. But I was about ready to, to play the Feliciano role and, and start fighting this HP computer. But I'm glad it uh, ended up fixing itself here. So happy to be yeah. here. Very nice. And you're coming in here on the fly. We usually do an audio check beforehand and make sure that your uh, mic is on because you are coming in a little bit uh, hot there, a little bit funny. Uh, listen, this is the Shout Football Podcast. Sometimes we just do on the fly uh, te technological. You guys have always uh, been really good about all of that. If you have any comments, like I mentioned before, drop them in the chat here. We will talk to you guys about anything uh, that you want to talk about. And John Fal Falsetto here on uh, Falsetta. On YouTube, Feliciano versus Epinesa better than any of the Paul brothers fight. Well, I'll yeah. tell you right now, I didn't watch Paul versus Floyd Mayweather, but I would I would venture to guess that that one today, even with the one punch, was probably a little bit better. I, I think that's a fair assessment right there that uh, the, the Paul brothers don't usually deliver in terms of those cards. Uh, I can't say I've invested any money in those cards. I've seen a few streams along the way, but I, I agree, probably much better. Uh, yes. So uh, if you're just joining us now, thank you and welcome into the show. We know you have a lot of options for your Bills coverage and your Bills podcast. And we always are so appreciative when you join us here. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, smash it as all the cool kids like to say. And we are going to get into uh, everything that we saw out of practice today. Now, right. A lot of today, what I mentioned at the top of the show was very, um, you know, install based. I mean, they, you know, Brian Dable kind of previewed it going into the day that they wanted to get uh, a lot of the guys out there run through a lot of different things. And so uh, it wasn't one of those days like we had last week where there was tons to break down. There were, there were, are some things, some of my observations, some things that happened in the team drills that we'll get into, but what were your first impressions of the fight and all the coverage that came out, out of it? And then also what was your impressions of, you know, maybe anything that popped out to you uh, that you saw uh, after practice? Yeah, in terms of the fight, you know, it, it's just it's what happens in football. We see it every year, whether it's at training camp. We don't usually see them at OTAs, but there's always a few scuffles along the way. And uh, AJ Epinesa makes a play, re returns it for a touchdown, and it sounds like Feliciano wasn't too happy about it. Uh, right or wrong. So just nothing to really write home about. As you mentioned, Feliciano went on the Pat McAfee show shortly thereafter, said we squashed it right after practice. It's over and done with. It, it's just a football thing. It just happens in sports. Uh, tempers flare. So I wouldn't read too much into that. In terms of what I liked, it, it's a, a name that probably a lot of fans didn't come in here to talk about. 
but it's Tariq Thompson making plays here every single week. And as an undrafted free agent, that's what you need to do to maybe not stick on this roster because this roster is so deep, but to at least have a good chance to make this practice squad, he's doing everything right so far. Yeah, I like that you brought up uh, Tariq Thompson because we're going to talk a little bit about him, another UDFA that popped uh, in in practice today. Big day. We'll get into that in, in a little bit, uh, in a little while. But, you know, this is, today was the last practice open to the media. Uh, we were able to get out there and get uh, attendance in. No Stefan Diggs and no Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, they were there last week. Uh, this is a voluntary workout. I think it's always important to emphasize that so they don't need to be there. Interestingly enough, and you posted a story about this the other day, Daryl Williams showed up, Mitch Morse. I also got confirmation that that was him in that third or fourth clip in the Bills video that they put out where it was really fast and you saw the zero and you couldn't really tell if it was him or not. Well, it was Mitch Morse. I can confirm he was in the building today. And um, some interesting uh, absences, uh, no Jordan Devy, uh, Isaiah McKenzie wasn't there as well. Um, on the defensive side of the ball that I thought was surprising. All four defensive linemen still not there. We've covered that already. Vernon Butler, Mario Edison, Jerry Hughes, and Star Latulale. Jaquan Johnson wasn't there uh, either. So some interesting uh, absences there in week two as we gear up here now for mandatory minicamp, which will be next week, Tuesday to Thursday. I think we'll see pretty close to 100% um, uh, attendance. Attendance has been so good for the Bills during the voluntary portion. Yeah. And, you know, players have things come up. Players probably talk to the team and say, I can be here this week. I can't be here that week, whatever the case may be. They're, they're training on their own. Uh, you saw it last week with the Star Latulale video that he's obviously putting in work. He just hasn't been to Buffalo yet. And, and with some of those veterans, it's fine. You know, they, they know that they have a role on this team or they have a role somewhere in this league because uh, the Bills are pretty deep along the defensive line. So if one of these veterans were to go, it wouldn't be a major shock, I suppose. But you, you'd like to see those guys like the Jaquan Johnson who could uh, see a bigger role this year with, with Dean Marlowe out, out of the fold now and other players like that be here. But at the same time, it's voluntary, like you mentioned, the mandatory camps, the training camp, the preseason. There's still plenty of time for these players to show what they can do and show that they're worthy of taking on bigger roles here in 2021. Mm -hmm. uh, welcome in. If you're just getting here, uh, Ryan was a little bit late. Uh, I might have to give him detention. We'll see how that all plays out. Uh, some computer issues. Listen, we've had computer issues, uh, plenty of computer issues over uh, the years here and uh, thank you for your patience as he got on because this is a better show when you're here. All right, let's get into Josh Allen, Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, I thought that this was, you know, one of the things and I, and I put them together in this thing because listen, there was, what, what do we have? Probably 11 or 12 passes to really dive into and, you know, uh, seven on seven, you know, you can only take so much from that. And then the 11 on 11, they're not hitting, they don't have pads on. So this stuff is, you know, it's, it's June. Uh, we want something to talk about, so we're going to. But always keep that in the back of your mind. It's so interesting watching Josh Allen go through these drills and then Mitchell Trubisky go through these drills. And it's not, I don't want to knock on Trubisky too hard, but it's just the confidence level and, and the the evolution of Josh Allen's game and and what he's willing to do, even in these drills and these moments. And you know, 
for Trubisky, he's still kind of trying to get up to speed. We talked to Brian Dable about him today. That was the first time we've talked to Dable since Trubisky's got here. And he said, listen, he's been in his playbook. Uh, there's a lot of freedom in this offense. He's Josh Allen's understudy. And so the playbook is going to be completely different than the one that he was running in Chicago in a lot of ways from everything that you heard and read out of Chicago as Matt Nagy tried to really simplify things for him there and not ask him to do too much as, as his kind of career went on. But just watching Josh Allen throw is just such a different, you know, the, the chances that he'll take, the throws down the field, everything from Mitch Trubisky. And like I mentioned, the caveat, he's still learning. So it, it makes a lot of sense. He it's just seems like he's checking down everything, you know, throws to the uh, running back or throws in the you know short part of the field. You're not seeing him really take chances down the field. And then that one interception that you mentioned, Tariq Thompson, the undrafted free agent safety, that was off of a throw from Mitchell Trubisky. And, you know, Josh Allen didn't do anything spectacular today per se, but, you know, he winged in a couple throws. He's fit in a nice throw to Duke Williams at one point, uh, just missed on a Tanner Gentry bomb down the field, I believe in seven and seven, you know, Gentry needed a little bit of that John Brown uh, speed perhaps to catch that one. Uh, but overall, I mean, it is what you ex expect. It's watching Josh Allen play and Mitch Trubisky play. Yeah, there's no surprise there. Now, as the time goes on, if we see Trubisky still checking down as we get to uh, training camp, then it be becomes a little concerning maybe because this is, believe it or not, a big year for Mitch Trubisky. Uh, this is a year for him to kind of reset things to prove that he can be a good understudy, but also say, I want to start somewhere in 2022. And while the, the plan isn't for him to get any real live action snaps here in Buffalo, uh, at least not until the end of the game, maybe for some kneel downs, this is a good opportunity for him to show Brian Dable specifically what he can do because Brian Dable one year ago was one of the hottest coaching candidates out there and somehow didn't land a job. Generally speaking, when these coaches land a new job, there's a quarterback that's missing there. So Trubisky, this is a year for him to prove to Brian Dable, hey, look, I can pick up your playbook. I can understand. I could be your guy wherever you go in 2022 uh, if you get hired as a head coach. So it's it's one of those storylines that you probably don't think about. It's not big for Bills fans, but for Mitchell Trubisky in his career, this is big for him to prove himself that he can handle a more complex offense, not take things that are watered down and simplified. So he does need to start showing that confidence in the playbook, trying to stretch the field a little bit. As for Josh Allen, we know what he can do. We know he's not afraid to zip some passes in to make some throws uh, that 90, 95% of the quarterbacks in the NFL can't make just because they don't have the arm strength. Uh, they don't have the, you know, the, the right kind of mechanics to make certain throws that he did last year. And, and not necessarily in the seven-on-seven -seven drills, but I, you saw him laying some really nice passes in the video that Sal Capasio shared. It was back and forth with Josh Allen. Uh, and Jake Fromm, another quarterback that, that's here in Buffalo and making some impressive throws in that practice in that scenario. So, you know, you, you know what you have in, in Allen, you know what you have in Trubisky, like you said, but it's going to be up to Trubisky to show that he can take on this role and excel in it. Yeah, I didn't write about uh, Fromm. I know a couple of people um, posted about him from practice today. He did have a couple of nice throws uh, in that you know, receivers running routes versus air and just, you know, kind of airing it out a little bit. And our good buddy, Mr. Bruce Nolan in here, great point. Uh, Nagy's offense is the kiddie pool and Dables is the deep end. And it, it's so true. I mean, you know, to, to go from that dynamic to what probably has to be a little bit overwhelming to come in here and see how far along Josh Allen, a year younger, is in his own system. In a lot of ways for Trubisky, it's got to be like, man, like, what a bummer. Like, 
to to watch, you know, to trying to get up to speed in a situation where a quarterback was given every opportunity. This is something that uh, Davis Webb talked about. It's all about timing and fit in a system. And to your point, this could be very good for Mitchell Trubisky. And, you know, over the course of time here, let him kind of build back up, get that confidence to where it needs to be. He'll have plenty of time over the next two months to get himself ready for what is ultimately going to be his dress rehearsal if he doesn't get any real chances in the regular season. And that's going to be fun to watch. I, I think that how that plays out is going to be very interesting. That One of the funnest preseason storylines for a team that's really, let's be honest, ready to contend is some of these secondary storylines that, you know, if he has a great preseason, who's to say if you love Jake Fromm, and you love um, Mitch Trubisky, and you love Davis Webb for all the other stuff that he does. Who's to say that the Bills don't cash in on a on a on a hot Mitch Trubisky preseason, flip him before the season to get a a, a, a day two pick? Maybe and those are the kinds of things that I think Brandon Bean. The wheels are probably always turning for him. Yeah, there's no doubt that he would consider something like that. I think that he did bring Trubisky in in the event that Josh maybe misses some action. Josh plays a very uh, not, I don't want to say a dangerous style, but he's not afraid to take on hits. He's not, you know, he's not the guy that slides. He's not the one that runs out of bounds. We've seen him stiff arm guys. We've seen him lower the shoulder. We've seen him leapfrog over players. So he plays a game where he could miss some time and you want someone that you really believe in. So if, if they truly do believe in Jake Fromm or Davis Webb that much, then yeah, that scenario is completely on the table. Now, Matt, I saw a question here in the comments, or, or, or just more of a comment, but you wrote a great piece this week on Dawson Knox, uh, the fact that he was working with someone on his vision. And in these videos, we're seeing Dawson Knox hauling some catches. So just anything from you that you've seen over, not, not even just today, but over the course of OTAs from him, in, in terms of does he look more confident? Uh, how does he look here entering a, I don't want to call it a make or break year, but it kind of is for Dawson Knox. It's a make or break year, I get the sense, in having this opportunity again to be the featured tight end in an offense. You know, he's if he just completely falls on his face this year, it's going to be uh, climbing up a mountain to get back to this opportunity. And one of the things that's so interesting about Dawson Knox's mindset that I took away from last week talking to him and then talking to Ryan Harrison – uh, vision specialist that he's been working with out in California. He actually also works with Odell Beckham Jr. They do a lot of different things. They work with, you know, screens where you're doing lighting drills, like, you know, just working your hand-eye communication. Obviously, the ping pong mach machine that, you know, a lot of people talked about on social media last week that Dawson Knox actually had shipped from California to Buffalo so he could continue to work with it while he's here. Just doing a lot of things. That, I, I thought it was interesting that, you know, Harrison, the, the, the eye specialist, he's been doing this for 22 years, worked primarily in baseball for a long time, slowly starting to kind of branch out into other sports. And now obviously with OBJ uh, as somebody that he's working with, you know, high profile players are starting to take notice of what this can mean. There's seven muscles in the eye, you know, and most of the time you get in there and you start doing a lot of the different um exercises that they have for you. And Dawson now said, I was exhausted after some of these workouts. Like I, I felt like, you know, at times I felt like I was being hypnotized because I was doing so many different things with my eyes that I'd never done before. And so I think it's just raising awareness, the ability to process information. And for a guy like Dawson Knox, who struggled with drops a little bit early on in his career, that's the type of thing that maybe, maybe it's not like some magical, like, uh, you know, 
eye training that's going to all of a sudden make him a sure-handed, you know, pass catcher. But maybe it's something where it gives him confidence to know some of the things he's able to accomplish in this program to then bring over to this area. And, and also, you know, one thing that I think gets downplayed is Dawson Knox was trending in the right direction last year. I thought, you know, uh, four drops in the regular season, but here's the real important one, three games in the playoffs, two touchdowns, no drop passes. And that's something that you don't, you don't really think about until you go back and dial up the stats and look at what he was able to do. And, uh, you know, I thought he became a pretty dependable part of things. Did teams fear him? Like Brandon Bean kind of mentioned, of course not. Nobody was, was, was fearing Dawson Knox last year, but you got to learn to walk before you run. I still think we don't, we underestimate how raw he is. We had Joe Marino on the podcast earlier this off season and, who really laid it out pretty, pretty clearly of why, you know, people should still be all in on Dawson Knox. And I think, you know, from what I've seen in OTAs, the confidence level has skyrocketed. He made a really nice play today, kind of like a, uh, not a diving grab, but he had to extend himself a little bit off of a throw from Josh Allen, uh, Jacob uh, Hollister, who we're going to talk about later. He had a nice grab as well, but yeah, I think Dawson Knox continues to trend up. And I think that what we've seen just in this limited period of time is enough. Uh, I think I saw Nate Geary tweet this today. I agree with him that I would be out on, on spending significant money on a Zach Ertz when you have a guy here that let's see what he can do. And it's still very cost effective. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and we've seen flashes of brilliance from Knox and I'm not even talking about the stiff arm and, and the uh, going down the field against the Bengals. We saw some him as a rookie, make some great plays in terms of body adjustment. We've seen, we saw him separate from a Patriots defender and, and, uh, catch a ball at the one yard line right before halftime in a game. We saw those little flashes last year. Same thing. He had those moments late in the year, but there are also those frustrating plays. You mentioned he had four drops last year. One was a touchdown pass that bounced right off of his hands. I want to say against the Patriots, he creates separation, gets wide open, lets it drop off of his hands. So we know the talent is there. We know he has the ability to separate. Uh, he was one of those players that, where Brandon Bean has has trended more so towards production over athleticism, he was one of those opposites where he didn't have that production at Ole Miss. But, man, when you saw him at the combine, you saw the testing scores, that's a guy that if he can put it all together can be a weapon at tight end. So you do want to see what he can do this year. It's encouraging that he sought out the vision specialist and that he's really working to round out his game. Um. Let's go to the running back uh, room here. We were able to talk to Devin Singletary a little bit today. And, you know, even, you know, it was kind of like a, a three-pronged uh, attack at running back today. We, we talked to Brian Dable to start the day. We got to watch them uh, practice, obviously. And then we got to talk to Devin Singletary to round things out. And, you know, I think what we're, we're moving towards is a really interesting competition um, or, you know, philosophical um you know foundation for what this running back operation is going to be because like right now we you know Brian Dable was asked about it today what's what's who's the who's the guy basically there is no guy I mean we believe in all three of these guys he he specifically mentioned Matt Breida uh as well I think it's going to be about you know getting Zach Moss healthy he's still in a red non-contact jersey he's not practicing um, as a matter of fact, he was he was really off the field today. He was just doing some um, some stuff on the the exercise bike for most of practice. Uh, getting him back, Antonio Williams is still uh, not practicing after he dinged something last week. Uh, so that's something to uh, monitor as we move into next week as well. 
Uh, and I think anybody that suffers an injury at this point, you want to probably hold them back, especially if they're going to maybe, uh, you know, go a little bit faster next week, maybe get the, get them as much time to rest as possible. But, you know, you get to the practice today and, and Matt Breida goes out there and he's had, I, I thought to this point, a really good OTAs. And it's amazing how one little thing can just shift the narrative. You know, he caught a pass out of the backfield. It was a, it was a nice ball. It was a bang, bang play. And in comes Cam Lewis, bangs the ball out. He fumbles. Boogie Basham picks it up, runs it back uh, for what would have been a touchdown. He probably doesn't make it for a touchdown in a regular setting, but again, it is OTAs. Um, and then things shift a little bit. And, you know, for us, it's more living and dying with all of these different moments of OTAs. I don't think that that re- registers even for the coaching staff or, or whatever, unless it happens in an actual game. You don't ever want to put the ball on the floor. But I, I just think that, you know, they really like what they have right now. I think it's a big reason why they didn't address the position in a different way and and maybe get more aggressive, maybe even trading up for Travis Etienne. Obviously, we've talked about that quite a bit about, you know, I think that the Bills liked him and, and, and probably would have considered him if he was there at 30. But I think that there's just there's still too much talent on the team right now. And Devin Singletary is, you know, he's he, he's added muscle. He said only about two pounds he's gained. But, you know, he seems to be in a different mindset and position to maybe take a jump here in year three. Yeah. And it's really important for him to do so. You know, I like the fact that Brian Dable pretty much said, you know, there is no guy. Uh, It could be riding the hot hand. It could be whoever makes the most of these opportunities, not just in OTAs, but obviously training camp in the preseason as well. And they all have interesting skill sets. Devin Singletary can make you miss. He's missing that extra gear. But we've seen time and time again, he can stop and start. He can kind of step back and make guy. You see guys fly right by him. So he, he's a little bit elusive in that regard. Zach Moss is a little bit more of that power back. He, he can break those tackles, kind of rumble through. Brita is brought in to have that running back that has the extra gear. Uh, really promising early in his career in San Francisco. We don't know what happened last year in Miami, just – it didn't work out there for whatever reason, but he could end up being valuable. And then you don't even want to write off the Antonio Williams, who looked great in Week 17 against the Dolphins. Christian Wade, they're talking about giving him his fair, you know, his opportunities. Uh, he is 30, but at the same time, there's not much in terms of tread off the tire because he transitioned to the NFL so late in life after a rugby career. It's going to be interesting. It's going to come down to who makes the most of these opportunities. And I think that the Bills do have more internal confidence in this room than maybe some of the fans did leading up to the draft where they were hoping the Bills would walk away with one of those top two backs. Shout out to uh, the viewers right now. These numbers are popping. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button if you're not already a subscriber to the Buffalo Bills on NYUP YouTube page. We appreciate you joining us on this fine Tuesday night. We're, we're going to have a little bit of a gap here. We're probably not going to, we're not going to do a show tomorrow. We're going to, we're going to be potentially live three times next week, Ryan. So make sure you go to bed early Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So you're well rested next week, because I think we're going to be hitting this pretty hard next week for mandatory mini camp. I'm super excited about that. We skipped over the UDFAs. We have our little topics line here. And I want to go back to that because you mentioned Tariq Thompson at the top of the show. And that's a guy that, you know, now two weeks in a row interception. I mean, you can't have a better start to things than he has had to, to continually keep your 
your, your jersey number and the, the, the nameplate on the back of your jersey kind of in the conversation this time of year is a great thing for a guy in his position. Another guy I want to mention, the former Notre Dame cornerback, Nick McLeod. He's a guy that came in today, and he was just feisty out there. He was he was competing. Two pass breakups. Uh, obviously, Stephon Diggs, uh, Emmanuel Sanders, and Isaiah McKenzie not there. So we saw a lot of Jake Kumaro, Duke Williams. Uh, Isaiah Hodgins made a couple catches today, still working in the red non-contact jersey. And then also, obviously, Gabriel Davis as well. But that's a big day for a Nick McLeod. And, you know, I think Elijah Griffin got a lot of the hype. Uh, obviously, and, and rightfully so. He's got some um, uh, a, a very famous father, and uh, I went to USC, and you know. But th- this UDFA class is is super interesting. It was Quentin Morris who made a grab today as well, and one of the drills I can't remember exactly which one. You know, I write this stuff out, <laughs> so I mean, I can literally just go back to my notes. Um, did I write it down? I think it was seven on seven. But um, again, we talked about him in rookie minicamp. The this is the opportunity for a lot of these guys, like you mentioned, maybe not to to make a run at a roster spot, but to position yourself. If you can, I was thinking about this today with um, some of these uh, younger players, like a Marquez Stevenson, or even like a Spencer Brown and a Tommy Doyle, to to be standing around with the caliber of talent on this roster, if you do make this practice squad and you do get an opportunity to get called up, if there's an injury situation, you're not just getting thrown you know, into the fire in the NFL with just any team. You're playing with one of the best rosters in the NFL, and that positions you to have more success as well. Yeah, and listen, I mean, you go back to year one of the Sean McDermott regime, those undrafted free agents had legitimate opportunities to make the 53-man roster because the roster was not anywhere near where it is today. Uh, Levi Wallace ends up kind of cracking the roster, going back and forth a little bit between the practice squad, makes the most of his opportunity. And year in, year out, we've seen some players make those op- uh, make the most of their opportunities. Last year, it was Reggie Gilliam. Now, you look at fast forward to this year, this roster is loaded across the board. There'd have to be some serious injuries or surprises that take place for these undrafted free agents to make this roster. But the Tariq Thompsons, the Nick McLeods, if they keep making these plays, even if it's just here and there, every other practice, every third practice, that's what they need to do to prove there might be something there with this guy. Maybe we can bring him along. We can develop him. And especially when it comes to that cornerback, defensive back room, the Bills must feel very confident in their coaching staff there in what they've been able to do. And again, I've mentioned Wallace, Cam Lewis. You mentioned him earlier in the show, UB product. Uh, anyone that they've brought in, even these veterans that you've said, okay, well, what are they going to bring? They all hold their own when they've come to Buffalo for those year stints. So whoever it is, they're finding a way to to get the most out of this these players. So yeah, I don't see a Tariq Thompson having a path to this roster. Same with the Nick McLeod, but they can stick on the practice squad, which right now it looks like it's going to be that 16-man practice squad, which is great for the Bills and every other team in this league. I think that's something that I wish would become a permanent thing because, you know, more opportunities for players to develop and find a role in the NFL. Um, I went golfing on Sunday with uh, Marcel and John Scott. Um and I do this thing where after I get past the first two holes, because I wear these shirts out on the field a lot, um, I get the farmer's tan, you know? So what I'll do is I have these like really light things and I'll like roll my my thing up and try to get some sun. And they always make fun of me. 
Uh, it's funny when we like see other carts going by, like they're like, yo, why don't you flex Prino for him? Or, you know, just goofy stuff like that. Well, Jacob Hollister is a man after my own heart. Listen, I don't do it because I got some type of pipes here. Let's not like, you know, get things confused. I do it because I'm just trying to even out the tan. So in this, in the case that I do have short sleeves, nothing's worse than a farmer's tan, Ryan. Am I right? Well, you're right, but don't play the Prino pipes down either. The, the, the Prino <laughs> pythons, the 20-inch Prino pythons, don't downplay it, Matt. Embrace it. Embrace it. But no, I, I get it. The farmer tan, farmer's tan can be an issue. But uh, yeah, so Jacob Hollister, it looks like he's going without the sleeves. It looks like he's showing up yes. the arms as well. Yes, that's why. Man after my own heart, he rolls up the sleeves because he doesn't want any part of that farmer's tan either. That's what I always loved about Matt Barkley, too. He always rolled up his sleeves. I get it because nothing's worse than farmer's tan. I just got to think about that. Made a huge grab today. I was kind of on the other side of the field. So how practice works out is there's two fields. And, you know, usually the offense will warm up on the one side of the field. Now, in the old days, they had this field flipped. So they were like uh, diagonal. And we got to stand um, right by where the entrance door is. And so we'd have a perfect view of it. Uh, seeing able to being able to see a lot more than we do now. So unless you're in the right part of the field, it's a little bit tougher to see it. But I was talking to a couple of guys on the sideline, and they said that Hollister made an unbelievable catch, like laid out for a, for a ball. We didn't see much of him the rest of the practice, so I don't know if he if he banged something up, if you know maybe he just came down on the ball or something like that. And so uh, we didn't see much from him. But we were talking to Brian Dable about him today. I actually asked him about Hollister and how he's fit in so far, because. You know, you look around the league and there's like there's all of a sudden there's like a lot of different situations with young quarterbacks getting players that they played with in college. You know, Travis Etienne linking up with Trevor Lawrence, uh, Joe Burrow linking up with Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle now with Tua Tagovailoa. So you look at Josh Allen getting a weapon in, you know, not only Hollister, but obviously he's got Tanner Gentry there as well, uh, more probably in the mix for a practice squad spot. And he said, listen, I've been. Super impressed with Jacob Hollister. He's come in. He's um, learned the playbook. And there is something to that connection. Just, you know, knowing, you know, getting used to reading a guy. Like, you know, they go back to 2019 and all the time that Allen and Cole Beasley had to spend together, you know, understanding where a guy's going to be. That Not a lot of that has to be done with a Jacob Hollister. So he can kind of slot right in. That's another thing we don't talk about in the Zach Ertz stuff. You trade for Zach Ertz, there's, there's got to be some chemistry building going on there. He's a veteran. He's been in this league a long time, but there's just a certain dynamic that has to be, you know, you got to work at it. And that's something that I think is a cool part of ho what Hollister can bring to this offense. And he doesn't have to do it in a feature role. He can do it. And when he's on the field, whether it be a two tight end set or he's out there and Knox is on the sideline or however it works out, Josh Allen is going to have another weapon that he's familiar with. Yeah, and that's big. And, and going back to Wyoming, one of the biggest upsets that Josh Allen had in his career, Hollister was his favorite target in the game. It was Hollister and then Gentry right after. So he has two of his favorite college weapons. That helps him out significantly now. It'll help him in a little bit in training camp. And Hollister, obviously, in the regular season as well. Hollister and his role in Seattle kind of reminds me of what Dawson Knox's role here in Buffalo was last year, where, listen, we have all these great wide receivers, and that's kind of who we're throwing to. Every now and then, you're going to get your chances. Seattle had DK Metcalf and, and Tyler Lockett, and they had some other players in the mix too, uh, not just those top two players, but they, they focused a lot on that. But when Hollister's name was called, he made plays. He, he moved the chains. I've mentioned this many times on our show against Buffalo. I believe it was seven receptions. All seven of them went for first down. So he can be a very productive player. He can be an asset to this team. 
is he going to be a top three, top five tight end? No, absolutely not. I'm not sure if, if any tight end uh, in Buffalo would ever do that based on this offense, no matter who you put in there is what I'm saying. But he's going to have a role here that's going to be useful in the red zone. It's going to be useful when they're in those third down situations because Josh Allen's going to trust him to, to run the right route, to get open, uh, because they have that chemistry that they've already built and that they're going to continue to grow this offseason. Some bummer news to share, and I know everybody uh, watching probably knows about this at this point, but if you haven't heard yet, the Bills have decided, opted not to go away to training camp uh, down at St. John Fisher College in Rochester. Uh, they're opting to stay here in Buffalo, do it at the facility. I know there's a lot of fans. Um, you know, the, the, I, I think that there's a, a good amount of people on both sides of this topic. You know, fans that like, you know, the Bills just built this huge facility in Orchard Park and being there and having the amenities that, that, that are available to them there is a good thing. And having camp there is great. But then there's the other side of the coin where it's like you miss out on the fan engagement. And unfortunately, Brandon Bean said they did everything they could. They sent a, a team down to St. John Fisher, kind of figure out the grounds, what the protocols would be. And there just would have had to have been too much distancing and not enough um, of what they're able to do in Orchard Park with, you know, same room meetings and everything like that uh, because of it's, it's an offsite event. That it just made more sense to continue with what they've been doing in Orchard Park, so they're going to stay there. You know, me personally, I covered training camp now the first two years. Last year, there uh, it, it was back in Orchard Park. I love the Rochester experience. I mean, selfishly, I was really hoping to get back there and and hoping that the possibility is there for the future. But uh, as it stands right now, training camp in Buffalo uh, coming in a couple months. Yeah, and like you said, they mentioned it would have been a heavy lift to be to get done. It just wasn't going to happen this year. I like the fact that they said they're they're looking at a few options to get fans into the stadium for obviously the scrimmage, but a few practices as well. So they're going to do their part to make it more interactive with the fan base. And when it comes to the Rochester fans, I get it. That's that's tough. That that's very difficult because. Uh, that had become a staple or a tradition at year in, year out. You could go there multiple times throughout the summer to see your favorite Bills. Uh, someone in the comments a few minutes ago asked, you know, do you think it's the end of the Bills in Rochester? Maybe in terms of being there a full go, but I could also see the Bills turning around and saying, okay, we're going to spend a handful of training camp practices there. Not the whole training camp, but make two or three appearances there to keep that relationship, to keep the fans happy, to give them an opportunity to come out and see the team a few times. So, uh, you know, early on in Sean McDermott's tenure, I thought it was really important for them to get away, to build that re the relationships with the, the players. But this is a roster where a lot of them have been together now for many years, so that camaraderie has already been built up. You just mentioned the relationships that some of these players already have with players on this team, the Hollisters, the Tanner Gentry's of the world, uh, that's big. So you don't need to necessarily get away now, especially coming off of an AFC championship season. But uh, I would like to see them figure something out where they it can be the best of both worlds because you have these great uh, you know, all-world facilities at, at Orchard Park, but you also want to keep that relationship with Rochester going a little bit. Mm -hmm. I see Dan in the comments asking how long. Uh, the Bills were in Rochester, 19 straight seasons before last year. And listen, I, I see a couple of people also in the comments talking about, you know, just the, you know, being home is, you know, you sleep in your own bed. Uh, the It's a little bit easier on the players. And I, I have no doubt about it that it's probably more of a lift. But I guess my 
my my feelings on it, you know, of course, I think it's it's a great environment to to do my job for those couple of weeks. But I just feel bummed out about the fans. I mean, I've talked to so many fans about it over the years. Not only people from Rochester, and you know, Rochester does a great do- job embracing it. People come in from Buffalo, all around the state, all around the country. They plan trips back to Buffalo around training camp to come back, see the team for a day, be up close and personal, do the you know the 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 autograph signings afterwards, see the guys walk on and off the field. That's like a that's like a a, a moment in in so many young people's life. Just just go back to 2018 and 2019 when you know how many little kids got to get autographs with Josh Allen. That they'll never forget that. And I'm sure people from a couple of generations ago have stories of Jim Kelly back in training camp, whether it be at Fredonia or you know wherever they were doing it back in the day. I can't even remember past. Uh, where, where where it was Fredonia before St. John Fisher? Yeah, yeah, I did I did the Fredonia trip a few times growing up, so I remember that vividly. You're right, good memories there, seeing the the players, seeing those rosters, and, and things have changed. It wasn't even just that. I mean, I don't know how many fans in the in the uh, that are here with us tonight remember this, but back in the early '90s, they would even do these charity basketball games where they would travel around to different schools, and, and you'd be able to see your favorite Bills players there as well. I have pictures of that, so. It's always great to see, you know, some of your favorite players up close, get autographs, take pictures. Uh, so it, it definitely hurts. I feel for those fans in Rochester. Like I said, I hope something gets worked out uh, where they can at least go there two or three times every summer to keep that fan base in the loop, to let them go out and see the team, make sure those are the free practices for all of them. So that way as many fans as possible can go and see the Josh Allens and the Stefan Diggs uh, of the world and kind of uh, get to interact and get up close and personal with their favorite players. Yeah. Just a, uh, you know, I just want to talk a little bit about that. It is what it is. And, he, and you know, here's another part of it that, you know, I think is going to be a, a, you know, fans are going to lose out, Right. In the years past, I mean, it, it, the number of live practices that you can attend, um, you know, fell dramatically over the last couple of years. But, the, you know, in 2019, there was nine practices, open practices, which meant that during those practices, everything that happens, including team drills, you, we can report on. Fans could see that, that now that that's changing, you're looking at the red, white and blue scrimmage, which will be completely open. And then maybe one or two fan events at the stadium that they figure out whether it be inside the stadium or maybe they, you know, build stands outside of the practice facility to house a couple hundred fans. I don't know what the plans are for that. Brandon Bean said they're still working through all that. So now you're going from nine to potentially one to three practices. The access is going to be gone for fans because I'd I'd venture to guess that the, the reporting guidelines that are in place right now why I can't tell you too much about how plays transpire. I'm getting a lot of questions about that still on social media is because the bills don't want other teams scouting them through the media. And so you're not going to have access to that. Now I know that there's a section of the fan base that's going to be like, man, I don't care because I want them to win. And if that's going to help them win, great. Well, there's a lot of teams around the league that have completely open media policies. One of them being the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that just won a Super Bowl. So, you know, I think it's, you know, it is what it is. I completely understand and respect Sean McDermott and the Bills' stance on all of this because, listen, they're in a Super Bowl window. John Feliciano mentioned it today on the the Pat McAfee show. Listen, it's one of the reasons why so many people have showed up to attend voluntary workouts because they know these windows shrink pretty quickly and they're going to do everything they can do to win. And uh, so I get it. 
Um, it's a bummer. I think it's a bummer all the way around because the more access, the more uh, time to talk about, I think it just gets everybody even more hyped up for it all. Yeah, I agree with that completely. But the, the one thing I'll say is Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, they like to keep things close to the vest and, and, and they'll use any opportunity to do so. Uh, and it's not just we don't want fans or we don't want the other teams to see those plays where Josh is throwing it to Stefan Diggs. It's for those bottom of the roster players, too, where, you know, we don't want them to see that this guy is making plays day in, day out because we want to sneak them onto our practice squad. Or maybe they'll end up making our 53-man roster like a Delshawn Phillips last year. I can't remember any uh, 53-man roster projections where he made it originally just because, you know, no one had really heard that name. It's like, oh, yeah, he maybe practice squad, this, that, or the other, and he makes it because no one really knew what he was doing. Now, obviously, tough breaks for him this past year with injuries, and now he's no longer in Buffalo. But just an example of, you know, what what these other teams don't know, that could end up benefiting the Bills in terms of who makes the practice squad. Oh, yeah, we didn't hear much about this guy. Well, because there's only one or three practices where fans and the media could really dig deep and report on everything. So it's that competitive advantage. The Super Bowl window's there. The Bills want to take advantage of that. Uh, Lauren over on Twitter, uh, Nick Saban doesn't allow boosters and a lot of media practices worked out well for them. It's a valid point. And listen, it, it, if it works, it works. And there's no kind of arguing that. I think that that kind of practice this year, what I think worked so well about it last year for the bills is that there were no preseason games. And a lot of it was really, um, you know, you could shield a lot of it. Now, I mean, you're going to have to you're gonna have to throw these guys out in the preseason, and a lot of that intel is going to be available. So we'll see how it all transpires. It's going to be fun to see how it plays out. Uh, let's get into some final thoughts. If you guys have any final questions before we get out of here, we got about another 10 minutes. If you got anything else you want us to cover, let us know. Ryan, what, what else you got here? You know, for, for me, it comes down to who's making the most of their opportunities on the on offense now because you mentioned it no Stefan Diggs today no Emmanuel Sanders no Isaiah McKenzie that wide receiver room is pretty stacked locked and loaded in terms of those top five guys so it's the Duke Williams it's the Tanner Gentry's it's the Marquez Stevenson's who's going to really step up in these extra reps that they're getting now that they could get uh as the as the summer progresses and show that they deserve that final spot same thing that we talked about a week ago with the defensive line. Those veterans that aren't there, it's good for the Greg Russo's and, and the Boogie Bastions. It's the same thing for these wide receivers. So I'm really intrigued to see uh, who steps up at that position because we already know the top of that depth chart. But there's always maybe that one sneaky player that's going to make their way at that wide receiver six, wide receiver seven, depending on what the Bills want to do, uh, that proves that they're too good to give up and, and possibly lose to another team. Steven on YouTube, uh, we have not talked about this. The Tennessee Titans have added uh, at the wide receiver position. Um, other couple of uh, questions in there as well. well. We'll hit on a couple of those before we get out of here. You know, Julio goes to Tennessee. Uh, they they needed to replace Corey Davis. I thought that wide receiving core, uh, you know, was a little bit weak after A.J. Brown bringing in um, – Julio Jones definitely remedies that situation, but I thought it was funny. I, I can't remember who tweeted it, but one of the first quotes out of the GM was, we really liked Julio Jones in the run game last year. So uh, I wonder if, um, you know, they, they brought him in uh, to be, you know, Derek Henry's uh, blocking wide receiver. That would be a hefty price tag to pay for that luxury. 
Yeah, that was an interesting quote, but I, I like the move for the Titans. Listen, I, going before that trade, I, I did not have them winning the division. I had the Colts winning that division. Uh, I think that this puts them back in the driver's seat to win the division. Browns legit. I, I said Julio's landing spot was going to depend on what quarterback he played with. And, and listen, Ryan Tannehill is not Patrick Mahomes. He, he's not Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen. But he's a pretty good quarterback, uh, and, and he's done a pretty good job with the Titans when, when asked. So they're still going to lean on Henry, but to have Julio Jones and A.J. Brown as your top two receivers, that makes them a legitimate threat in the AFC. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how well they mesh together now. That's health depending on Julio. But at the same time, that defense was one of the worst in the league last year. Uh, I'm not sure that they got any better there. So this is a team that might have to win some shootouts. And obviously they have the firepower now on offense. One thing I did want to get it out of the way. I think I might've talked about this on a show before, but uh, I saw a little bit of, um, you know, commentary on Julio Jones the last couple of days. And I, I still think that as good as he's been in his career, the circumstances at when the team, whoever the team was going to be, that got him and ended up being the Titans are getting him under, are not the same circumstances where I felt like his value was at you know its peak you know two or three seasons ago you know the production is trending down um, the injuries that he's dealt with over the course of his career you saw last season that for the first time him really not be able to fight through a lot of that and part of that might have been you know playing for the Atlanta Falcons who weren't going anywhere fast and and, that, and that's all well and good but can he hold up for a, a full season and you know I think that you're gonna you, the question specifically was asking about how this impacts the Bills game. I think they've played, you know, a lot of good wide receiver duos uh, last season. Um, and I think they did a pretty good job of it. I thought they did a pretty good job for the most part in that game against the Arizona Cardinals with arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL and, and some really good complimentary pieces. And it just came down to one free play at the end where they just didn't make a play. So I think that you're going to see, we've talked about this too, a Bills defense with something to, you know, a chip on its shoulder. And it's almost like a, a cool way, the way that this has played out if you're a Bills fan, because the offense took such a huge step forward last year and led the way so much in their, you know, um, push towards the championship game. You can argue that now the defense can maybe elevate its level of play and this team could really become um, a real problem and, and, uh, and a lot better than even what they were a, a season ago. Let me see what um, there's a couple other questions in here. Somebody I saw said, one. Uh, I saw on. one about which defensive end is going to have 10 sacks. I don't think any of them are going to have 10 sacks. Okay. Uh, I think it's going to be a group effort. I think that all of them have opportunities uh, to, you know, get the five to seven sack range. Not that they all will, but uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out because you have Addison, you have Hughes, you have your first two draft picks this year, AJ Apanessa, F.A. Obata. Someone earlier I did see in the comments asked about F.A. Obata, is he going to make this roster because someone bought his jersey? You know, kudos for you to take that leap of faith and get that F.A. Obata Bills jersey. Uh, but in all seriousness, I could see him making this roster despite all these moves because he's so versatile in, in terms of what he can do. A lot of his sacks last year came from the interior. He, he moved inside and on those third down situations, and that's where he was able to beat the interior offensive lineman and get those sacks. So he has a shot. Uh, I just don't see anyone on this roster right now in 2021 going out there and getting 10 sacks. As good as Jerry Hughes can be, as good as Mario Addison's been over his career, and as good as these young players could develop into, I don't see it happening this year. What about you, Matt? 
you know, I, I think somebody landing at 10 sacks with this collection is, you know, would be a really nice season. If you were asking me who my, who the odds on favorite would be, I, I do think that Jerry Hughes potentially could be that guy just because he's done it before. And I think that the production as a pass rusher is there. It's just about finishing more. And what's going to be the difference this year? Just more talent around him. More, um, you know, bullets in the gun, if you will. I mean, they they have a lot of different options. I One thing that I really want to kind of dive into with Leslie once we get to training camp, um, Leslie Frazier, is really getting a better grasp of how they view their defensive line. Because going back and watching games from last year, watching, you know, how they deploy their players and the, the personnel that they've continued to put in place on the defensive line. They, they just have a bunch of guys that kind of do the same thing. They're all just kind of like um, these versatile like pieces that, you know, Avada, Rousseau, uh, AJ Epinesa, Boogie Basham, what do they all do? They're all those kind of fringe edge players that do some of their best work on the inside. Not so much Epinesa at the, in the pros, but that's one of the big things that they were talking about. And and now that his body, he's settled into that a little bit more. Who's to say they don't they don't do that with him a little bit more this year? So I I don't have a really clear idea of what they want the identity of this thing to be on the defensive line, other than just having a bunch of guys that, if you're the offense, you don't know what any of them could do on any given play when they're out there. Yeah, I agree completely, man. Another question in here from Seth is, who's the biggest surprise so far? I guess that could be a, a good surprise, bad surprise, however you want to interpret that. Is there anyone that's kind of uh, so far? And mind you, it hasn't been you know live action or, or like you said, today was more about installation. But has there been someone that maybe has caught your eye and impressed you more than you expected? Yeah, that's a good question. I've seen a lot of Tanner Gentry, um, and, and I guess that – you know, Dable actually mentioned him today too when he was talking about. Uh, I asked him about Hollister, and he made sure to mention Gentry too as a guy that Josh Allen obviously has familiarity with. I, I think it's going to be a real uphill climb for him to, to carve out a role. But you know, he was on the practice squad last year. They brought him in for a reason, so he's somebody to watch. I think that you know somebody that's impressed me. I was standing and watching, and somebody asked if I have any video clips. I mentioned, like I mentioned early, earlier, I didn't have great location for the offensive stuff. So I had uh, some video stuff that I did. I was just videoing the linebackers going through uh, a pad drill. And I'm really impressed with Tremaine Edmonds. And it, it's more than anything that I've seen on the practice field. Because like you mentioned, defensively speaking, the UDFAs are obviously, like that we talked about, Tariq Thompson, uh, Nick McLeod. Those guys would definitely be worth mentioning. But Jermaine Edmonds, I'm just more impressed with the way he's taken, you know, the narrative on him in stride and it kind of seems to be using it to fuel what I think has the potential if he stays healthy to be an unbelievable year. You put up a story, I believe, where there was a uh, an, an NFL expert who predicted Tremaine Edmonds to be the defensive player of the year. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Jason Lockenfora from CBS Sports came out with uh, 19 predictions, and, and that was his selection for defensive player of the year. Now, mind you, that'd be a significant leap from what we've seen. We've seen flashes from Edmonds, just like we've seen it from Dawson Knox and Ed Oliver. Uh, but it, this is a big year for him as well to put everything together. Now, the defensive line's much improved, at least in terms of depth, in terms of talent and, and possibilities. If Star Latule returns, which is the ex expectation, that should free things up for 
Edmonds and Milano. They're going to get plenty of snaps and opportunities. At this point, we can no longer sit here and say, well, he's only 20, you know, 23 now. That was the kind of the excuse that, well, he was only 19. He's only 20, only 21. We get that. He's a young player. He still is a young player, but he's been in the NFL long enough now that he should feel pretty comfortable with the speed of the game. Now we have to see those instincts take over because the athleticism's there, the talent's there. It's just now time to put it all together. And he certainly has the ability to do that, like you said. Uh, it's it's great to see how he's taken everything in stride in terms of the critiques that there's been on his game because there's been plenty um, from fans, from media, et cetera. So it, it's going to be really interesting to see how he takes off here in 2021. So, you know, we'll take this one more uh, comment on our question on Starla Thule. Uh, we've talked about this a couple times and what it would look like for the Bills to move on from him. First of all, I don't think they should move on from him. I think they need they need what he does. And it will free up other guys to do what they're supposed to be doing as well. Uh, not having him there, not having Vernon Butler there, you know, seeing a lot of what we saw a year ago with the, you know, the different combinations that they're using. There's not a lot of size on, on the interior. I mean, Ed Oliver, for as good as, you know, I think he can be, he's got to be used in the right role. And Leslie Frazier doubled down on that recently and said, listen, we like him in that three tech role. We want him to be a, a chaos creator. Star is like, I think it's 11.8 million dead, dead dollars if they were to cut him or if he were to retire. The bills would just basically be out of, of money. And there's no, there's nowhere to maneuver to, you know, kind of get somebody of that caliber or that kind of cap hit um, or that kind of cap dollars to, to fill his place. Not only that, you're not going to find somebody that, you know, as long as he comes back where he left off is going to be at that talent level. And listen, he knows the defense. He knows that he's played for Eric Washington. He's played for Deshaun McDermott for most of his career. Uh, I think that coming back into this defense, knowing what they did in 2019 and what he could bring could really unlock a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, unlock a lot of things in it for Tremaine Edmonds, unlock a lot of things for Ed Oliver, help the, those young defensive ends. He is not a guy that's going to ever fill the stat sheet, but he takes on multiple linemen. And he opens things up for other players. Last year, I heard more than enough critiques on Ed Oliver that I really started focusing on him in games. And he didn't maybe finish a play, but you really saw him push an offensive lineman back, or you saw him beat his guy, just knock it to the quarterback. And I sat there and I thought, you know, if he had Star Latula next to him, if he wasn't moving around and having to play a little bit of that one technique here and there, it could have been a much different year for him. So, there's no way that you can move on from Star Latule financially. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, but you hope that that combination of Latule, Harrison Phillips, who feels much better than where he's been over these last few years, coming back from a serious uh, ACL injury, that it's going to open up things for Ed Oliver and the rest of those linemen, as well as some of those linebackers behind them. Um, saw somebody in the comments who referred to me as his, as his daddy. And I'm not sure if that's correct because my son should be sleeping right now. And so, and I know my daughter's sleeping, so false, sir. Uh, but no, I, uh, some people having some fun in the comments. We always appreciate it. Hit that subscribe button. You guys were awesome tonight. Hit that like button on this video as well. We will be net back next week with potentially up to three shows for mandatory minicamp. Ryan Talbot came through in a pinch. Look at tech technology is going to fail sometimes. And you brought it, my friend. Hey, glad HP came through with their update for me last minute. Sorry to be late there, Bills Mafia, but 
Always happy to join in with my tag team partner and do these shouts uh, episodes with you. Uh, somebody commented earlier, time to upgrade from Microsoft 98. <laughs> I promise. It's well past 98. <laughs> That's great stuff. All right, Ryan Talbot, I'm Matt Perino. We'll be back next week. Enjoy your week. Enjoy all this beautiful weather. Get on the golf course, and we'll see you then. Take care, everyone.